Yeah, I think just the funding that did come in was really great. I think the action and the continuity of the coalition from Prop S to Prop E went from 40 organizations to 140 organizations. That was something that was huge. However, right after that passed, the Arts Alliance that led these meetings that were laying out the path for people stopped hosting these meetings right as the pandemic hit. And so all of that coordination, all of that togetherness, I feel like that singular voice that we had built together kind of dissipated and people went back to corners a little bit. Welcome to Voices of the Community, which explores critical issues facing Northern California communities. We introduce you to the voices of community thought leaders and change makers working on solutions facing our fellow community members, nonprofits, small businesses, neighborhoods, cities, and our region. This episode is part of our special series on how the arts and culture sector is coming back from the COVID-19 pandemic and features voices from the co-production of Arts for a Better Bay Area State of the Art Summit held at the Strand Theater in San Francisco on June 28, 2023. The focus of the summit was on rebuilding our communities through the arts. So I think the advantages of having a small group is that we have a real conversation, right? And everyone's probably somewhere different in their Proposition E journey, right? Super happy that Denise has agreed to be a part of our circle. Yay! Yay! And my co-Proposition E co-captain, Vinay. My name is Joe Landini. I'm the founder of Safe House Arts and also one of the stewards with ABBA, which is Arts for a Better Bay Area. We're one of the organizations that helped steer Proposition S and then Proposition E. And there's a lot of questions around that. Now I'm going to invite Vinay to introduce himself. Hi, everyone. I know most of you, so it's kind of odd. My name is Vinay Patel, and I am the executive director of the Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Center. I also work with Bindlestiff Studios and Asian Improv Arts. And I've been doing arts administration and advocacy for over now 20 years. And at a time, I was the really, really young guy. And now 12. I'm that really, really old guy. <laughs> he was 12. I was 12 then, yes. And then to my left, I want to, I have so, can't believe how ecstatic I am having Denise here, you know, to sit in with us. When I thought there is no, you know, a person from any of these departments willing to come up here and sit. And she's like, I'll come. I'm like, wow. So Denise, I'll let you introduce yourself from the Arts Commission. Okay. I'm Denise Pate. I'm the Director of Community Investments for the San Francisco Arts Commission. It's a long title that means I just manage all the people that manage all the people that manage the grants program. <laughs> so, you know, and I'm also, it's just been a year and a half since I've been at the commission. And so I'm learning a lot about Prop E too. So like, mm-hmm. you know, that before you, you guys can fill in the history and all that. And oh, we're gonna, oh, we're now we're administering the, the, the funds and getting ready to reevaluate how they were used and what happened. And I understand there was like some controversy and things like that. Yeah, we're going to whip it out. We're going to whip it out. And I missed it because I, <laughs> by the time I came, it was all calmed down. <laughs> so I thought, so thank you. And we're a small please, group. So would you guys have a yeah, call in, come yeah. in. I think we should pass the mic around yeah. and everyone introduce themselves. Zach, such a I'm, handsome man. Oh, geez. Knock that off. So I'm Zachary. I am with ODC and Oomph Dance Theater. And I'm going to pass the mic. Pronouns they, he. Hey, everyone. My name Ooh, that's hot. I'm going to hold it back a little bit. Sorry. Used to those drag clubs where you have to talk like this. Hi, my name is Vin Seaman. I use they, them pronouns. I'm an interdisciplinary artist and the director of Diamond Wave. We're a queer arts organization. And I was also a community organizer for the Yes on E campaign in 2018. Oh, God, that was a while ago. 
individual artist, and I did help a little bit with probably back then. So I want to find out what help. My name is Ruth Mankin, and I am an arts education consultant, and I bring artists into the schools to teach music, dance, theater, visual arts, circus arts, poetry. So I'm here to meet everybody and to learn more. I know this isn't about arts education so much. It's about the arts, but that's why I'm here to kind of connect with people. Hi, everyone. Thank you. And absent the prompts, I'll just dive in. My name is Deanna Griffin. I'm a 35-year arts and culture worker in collecting art museums, and I'm interested in being here thinking for myself about what new adventures can I undertake in my working world. Good evening, everyone. I'm, I'm Jaime Cortez. I'm a program officer at the Hewlett Foundation and also a writer and visual artist. And I apologize in advance that I won't be able to stay to the end of this session, but I will be glad for whatever information I can get. Thank you. Hi, I'm Brenda Tucker. My pronouns are she, her, and I work with SF Travel. I'm the arts person. So I'm sort of trying to make sure that there is a lot of hotel funds going to the right place. Or So it's official SF Travel still has an arts person? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Yi Zong. He, him. I'm a project manager with CAS Community Arts Stabilization Trust. So I work with Josh, who just spoke. I actually have no idea what prop is, so I'm going to figure out. Oh, a virgin. Yes. Hi, everyone. I'm Lawrence Cole. I'm the music director of the Pacific Chamber Orchestra. And in addition to concerts, we have an extensive education program and also a program called Dream American for emerging young composers to write new works. Yeah, so we're just introducing ourselves real quick. Just say hi. Okay. Hi, I'm Jason Bayani. I'm the co-director of Curtin Sheep Workshop. Hi, everyone. My name is Nick Mataliotti, and I am the Program and Membership Manager for Artspan and SF Open Studios. Hi, I'm Joyce Grimm, and I built the first Art and Store Friends project here for the San Francisco Arts Commission. I used to work at the Arts Commission Gallery, and I had a gallery myself called Triple Base for years. Maybe some people know that. It seems like forever ago. But the last couple of years, I've been working with artists using technology sponsored by Adobe. And I've been teaching technology folks what art is all about, asking questions and really like honing in on what we see as significant in the world. So, Hello, I'm Amy Burke. I, God, what haven't I been doing? I'm teaching. I was at SFAI, RIP. I run... <laughs> SFAI. <laughs> I run City Studio, which was RIP, but we're bringing it back. It's bringing art to underserved teens and tweens. I'm at the Academy High School doing an industrial design program. I run a program called Artivate, bringing art into uh, neighborhoods and communities, looking at working with neighborhoods and communities and making these conceptual art pieces. But I'll keep it at that. When do you sleep? All right, so... Vinay and I have plans for like a little tutorial uh, introduction to Proposition E. Yes. So we're going to do this as sort of a dialogue, right? I think one of the things that we want, hopefully everyone takes away from, you know, the dialogue we're, we're going to be having is that, you know, the opportunities that you see around you, whether or not they're small or you think they're large, whatever, in terms of, you know, public support for the arts, that in San Francisco has always been, you know, started by the idea with his from the community. And from the community, I mean, people in this room, there are people in this room that made these, oppor- you know, made 
it possible that there's money, you know, from the government going to the arts. And so this is a little bit of a story dialogue because, you know, Joe and I were both involved in it. Kevin was heavily involved in it, you know, trying to get, you know, more public support for the art. And so part of this is a little bit of a history, but also at the end of it, we want you to feel empowered. These are your dollars. You know, these are these are promises made to you and therefore you should feel empowered to speak up, you know, about it. So in the end, hopefully, you know, that's where we end up. In the beginning, in the beginning, there was, as everyone knows what Grants for the Arts is for the most part. Yeah, everyone's pretty clear on that. So in the beginning, Grants for the Arts was attached to the hotel tax fund, which meant that a percentage of the hotel tax went directly into grants that were made by Grants for the Arts. Grants for the Arts. Well, there was a fund, you know, and there was either it was by, you know, a vote to the public or it was in the charter or something on how the hotel tax was supposed to be spent, you know. And so it was very specific, right? And so fast forward. And what happened over the years was that the Board of Supervisors, through just a regular ordinance where they vote, you know, in their chambers every year, say, you know what, we're going to reallocate some of these dollars and spend it this way and spend it this way. And so that hotel tax ended up starting to fund lots of different things, you know, and including programs over at the Arts Commission. And that included cultural centers and they included cultural equity grants and things like that over at Arts Commission too. But in 2004, there was a lawsuit and that lawsuit was about parking meter fees, you know, of all things. But that had a wide impact and the city started going, wait a second. You know, what the judgment was, was that if you went to the voters and said you were going to spend tax dollars this way, you have to spend tax dollars only that way. And so because the city was actually, and I think we're past the statute of limitations, so we can talk about this. <laughs> so, But because the city was actually over ordinance, just changing all those allocations, you know, they started saying we can't. So they pulled all those dollars from the Arts Commission and Grants for the Arts out you know, and put them in general fund. And that's almost death sentence. If you're in general fund, that means like wherever the wind blows that year in terms of the budget, you're susceptible to it. <laughs> and one of the things under the hotel tax, there was a provision of, you know, no matter what happens in the city budget, you cannot go 10% lower from the previous year. And you can't go 10% higher than the previous year of your allocation. So there was a floor and ceiling that always protected us in the arts. But after, you know, 2004 or six or something like that, they pulled us out. We did not have those safeguards anymore. That means that everybody was kind of every year had to go and fight, 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 fight to make sure that there's enough money in those two departments, you know. So at that point, you had a bunch of stressed out artists. Okay, everyone's up to speed, right? Okay, moving forward. We move on to the year 2018. Yes. We've gone through the banking recession of 2008. The the dot-com burst. Uh, 2010? Yeah. So ours are really stressed out. Okay, so we get to 2017, and we start organizing Proposition S. S. 2016. Yeah. Proposition S, which then was one of the spearheaders, and we failed miserably. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. My version is so much more interesting. Uh, your, your, your versions are always darker than what they are. <laughs> the real version. Then we'll tell you the truth. Uh, so in 2016, the Arts Alliance, with support from a huge coalition of other organizations, created Prop S which was in line with a coalition on homelessness. It was taking these issues of arts and homelessness, putting them together as two core issues for our city. And that legislation, I think, missed passing by like 3%, 3%. 4%, something like that. Needed two thirds to pass. That's not damn my sharply. It was, there was other bigger failures on that election cycle in 2016. Jay. Yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't the biggest gut punch that night. <laughs> but also, I think from that legislation as well, it, that legislation took a big portion of the hotel tax fund in a way that worried 
city administrators and other agencies that also drew upon that oh, yeah. fund. So in 2017, Prop S 2.0 happened, which was the same coalition. And that just fizzled out. It didn't work. It didn't happen. 2018, we came back with Prop E, which was really a city-led effort. From my understanding, it was folks met with city officials and said, hey, we want you to lead this proposition. We want this to be in line with what you think arts funding should be. We don't want to ask for more than our fair share. So it was a lot less than Prop S, but it was still a huge windfall for San Francisco Arts and specifically because it reconnected that hotel tax fund directly with arts funding. So, you know, nobody knew the pandemic would happen. So it's like short of like an earthquake, we would just continue to grow and grow and grow. Nobody knew this other thing would be coming. How's that for a little cat? That is great. And, you know, one of the things that was the catalyst for Arts Group to get together, Arts Alliance, you know, at the time was a collection of the largest budgetist arts organizations in San Francisco. So they had quite a bit of, you know, the Arts Alliance, the, the entity Alliance. that still exists and does lobbying and has a yeah. lobbyist within this. And now that everyone's in the general fund, we're all kind of in the same boat. And that actually, you know, people got together from both sides because, you know, the, the smaller cultural organizations were kind of at odds. With City Hall being in between, you know, of the interest of the larger organizations and the smaller ones and the individual artists. But we saw an opportunity to work together to try to bring this back. And we worked really hard to come up with equitable plans. Like it was not going to be business as usual. It if we were to come back and put the money back into this. So a lot of community members got together. We had a lot of discussions and meetings, dialogues and fights about, you know, what it's going to look like. You know, it can't be the way that it was. If we're going to do it, we got to do something that we feel was going to have a more lasting impact, you know, than what we had been. So that was a very interesting time. We've never sat together. I've never sat, you know, in the offices of the San Francisco Symphony and things like that. But again, that was community-led effort, you know, and Prop S didn't have City Hall support. Support, but we still got 63%. But when we came back for Prop E, City Hall came to us and said, look, if you work with us on the language, we will sponsor it and save you some effort. Because they knew that we were stronger, you know, Prop E this time around, we were stronger then. And so we had decided it was going to be a smaller chunk that we we're going to take, but we we're going to have City Hall support. So that leads us to Prop. So at this point, Proposition E has passed, and that spawned the birth of the the cultural services allocation plan. Well, Thank well, you. Or, well, or, or the what, what's the short well, term we call it? Arts C- Impact Endowment. Sure. Well, one thing that Prop E has, so everyone just kind of knows what it actually funds. So Prop E funds all of Grants for the Arts. Their whole budget is within Grants for the Arts. In Arts Commission, they have a mixed funding over there. And Denise can talk a little bit more about it too. But what comes out of Prop E, you know, it funds cultural equity grants. It funds cultural centers. And it funds the Arts Impact Endowment or the Cultural Service. I forget the full name of that one. CESP or? Cultural Services Allocation Plan or CSAP. Ah, yeah, CSAP. I talked about this stuff on the campaign trial for like months. So this is why it's all burned and etched. <laughs> so that's why said that I can't remember. Also, Vinay, for cultural districts that are funded through the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, mm-hmm. I believe as well. No, Mayor's gets... Office of Community Development. Thank you. Mayor's Office of Community Development supports a pool of funding for all of the different cultural districts throughout the city as well. Okay. So let's take a deep breath. That was a lot of information. And some of you are probably asleep. So let's, let's get the mic. Let's get the mic. Oh, yeah. We have to talk into the mics. I'd like to know what percentage of the hotel tax, hotel taxes, 14% goes to grants for the arts. I'm sorry. Like, I just, yeah, that brass tax. That's a good question. Does anyone know? So we may have to get back to you on that one. I don't think I have a percentage of it. And the percentage is what I do know is when grants for the arts was put back into the hotel tax, 
And that percentage varies depending how large the hotel tax is, you know, like the larger the tax, you know, the, the percentage is different. But what we had done at the time was try to set a baseline with the city asked, give us what your baseline is. And so, you know, a lot of creative accounting tried to make that baseline as big as possible. So I'll tell you that when Garrison for the Arts was put back into the hotel tax through property, it was $16.3 million that was put back in, you know, which was a bump, you know, to what they had. All right. So we've covered a lot of ground. Where do you want to go next to now? That's all I got. That's all you got. So something I'm kind of hearing from you, Vin, is that there's a lack of transparency right now with the hotel tax fund and what's going on. What is the percentage? What are these brass tax things? And I'm just wondering, does anybody here, and it can be a wonderful panelist or anybody else know, or, you know, especially with Grants for the Arts, they've had a complete changeover of staff in the last two years. And so what they used to have are these docket meetings where the community was allowed in to get to see decisions and get to see the advisory group make the those decisions in real time around who was being funded and why. I loved those docket meetings. I went to every one, even virtually, because the things that people would talk about were fascinating. And I was also incredibly worried that the organizations I represented would be cut out, which was never really an issue. That was just my anxiety speaking. And so when our new team came in, those docket meetings were completely taken away. It was replaced with one last year, but all the decisions had been made. And it mm. was essentially a congratulatory meeting saying, oh my gosh, we did all the work. Isn't that fabulous? And it was on Zoom and it was presented in such a way where you couldn't even see the other. I used to be able to go to a meeting and see folks from La Pena or from Hope mm. Moore or from anybody in the room. And afterwards we would step outside and we would have a conversation of like, how are you doing? Like that conversation was intense, but we couldn't even see who was there. And so I'm raising this. If anybody knows of any transparency such as like an annual report or a breakdown of grantees. Like it's just, I'm sensing a lack of transparency and that's troubling. And I just want to raise that. And if anybody has any information. Well, that's a really good segue. Well, I, just to be the professor here again about this stuff, just one more point. And then I think that we're going to go the rest of the time talking about you know, what's happened, what's going on. And Denise can talk about, you know, the programs of the Arts Commission as well. But one of the things that happened right after we hit the pandemic immediately, right? You know, like we're all celebrating and everything's going to be great. The tourism was on a sky high. We were going to see a 10% bump every year, but that was going to be fantastic. We were on cloud nine, right? But the pandemic hit. And we had written in a 10% floor and ceiling. And it was done by the city attorney. We thought it was ironclad. And then all of a sudden we hear, oh, there is no such thing as a floor. There's no money. There's no money. And basically we're right back at the general fund again. That's pretty much what it was, you know? And so we had to go back in there and start advocating, right? And so a lot of people were advocating again, hey, this cannot be what's going on here. And we have a mayor that, you know, comes from the arts, understood that. And so what City Hall ended up doing was what they call backfill. They found other money and they filled it. So what that didn't do was fulfill the promise of the 10% floor. It just said, hey, we're just going to come and try to salvage what's going on over here, right? So ever since the pandemic, we have not had enough funds in the hotel tax. And is that how you understand it too, Denise? No? Okay. But City Hall and the supervisors have been backfilling to make sure that we don't have that. And so we actually saw a bump, I think, last year. 
the mayor was able to put a bump into it. So I think the first year there was a slight decrease in the funding for the arts, but since then the supervisors have been backfilling it. And in this year, they said that the hotel tax is going to be level in terms of, and there might not be need for backfilling. There's enough funds in the hotel tax for it. So Denise. Well, in terms of the hotel tax, I don't know what's going on at Chance with the Arts. I, I mean, I do. We work a little bit with them in their transition. I worked with them on their guidelines and we worked with um, figuring out a scenario, kind of like the same, actually Jason, who was there before actually started that, kind of like the Robin Hood kind of scenario, took from the larger organization so that the smaller organizations could have an entry point, like the $10,000 grants. And so we worked on it, but the challenge was, I'm the Arts Commission person. We have the cultural equity, we have this transparency, and then the Grants for the Arts, which is a different organization. So I helped them to write guidelines. And then also we hired a program officer to help them work on, you know, reviewing the grants. And right now I'm reading grants for Grants for the Arts, a small portion of them. And what we're doing is um, we're helping to advise them on creating um, a rubric that focuses more on community engagement. And so it's a strange marriage because it's still grants for the arts the symphony the opera the ballet and then also some smaller organizations whereas we're this like really groovy you know (laughs) cultural equity and we're looking at inclusion all the time and we're transparent and so when you were talking about that there was no meeting you couldn't see what was going on that totally bypassed me because i was focusing on arts commission and all our stuff that's almost too trans i mean it's like we're so transparent where people are always like calling me and saying you know this panelist said this and it hurt my feelings and that was not fair so anyway but in terms of like the hotel tax fund, what I was told with budget this time that the Arts Commission, we're in good shape. And I was told that the hotel tax was the only tax that's growing, despite all the talk about that, you know, the tourists are scared away and that the fund and I looked at each year and the growth that's happening. And so we're good and we have an increase. And but of course, we have multiple funds that are coming to the Arts Commission, but property is good and we have money left over last year. And so that we'll, you know, move forward to the next year. But I'll just say this, you didn't ask, but in the CSAP process, I happen to have been there, part of the steering committee or whatever you call that committee where we all got together and talked about the buckets of money, like arts, ed, capital and space, core support and individual artists. And the team decided like what percentage of Prop E would go towards those types of program needs. And for this this year, we did the Arts Impact Endowment and we did a first-time grantee initiative. Now, I knew about the other ones the years before and the controversy around that, but this time we just focused on first-time grantees, which we had a time because there were, it's like, what is a first-time grantee? Uh, if you were with the organization, can you appear as an individual now, even though you got a grant as the leader of an organization? No, they wouldn't let me. <laughs> And there were all kinds of things going on. But what we found is the CSAP plan said that only a small percentage would go to individual artists. But that was the largest amount of applications that we got. And we still had to say only we gave like four individual artists. And then the largest was the arts education. And we hardly got any applications in that category. So we had money left over. And we were like, can we just reallocate it? And it was like, no, that was CSAP. The CSAP said that, you know, these are the buckets. And so 
so we had to follow the CSAP. So that's why we had money left over in some categories. So as we get ready, we submitted the RFP. We posted the RFP for the consultant that will do the evaluation of this last five years. Five years. Wow. And then we go plan for the next CSAP process. I'm wondering, um, I'm concerned about what comes up because what the actual need was different from what we saw in the CSAP. So we're at five years, right? Okay. So it's built in that there has to be an evaluation at five years. The Arts Commission is hiring an outside consultant to do the evaluation. You're going to get paid a range of what, 60 to 90? Something like that? 90. 90. So you should apply for it. Not to exceed, exceed 90. 90. <laughs> oh, wait, it was 50 at first and nobody oh. applied. And ah. So we had to post it again <laughs> and we went up. I had to go get more money and we went back up. But Zach, circling back to your question, I think you bring up a really important point, which there has been a real struggle with transparency. And it has felt sometimes city government hasn't heard us when we've asked for more transparency. So I think that ABBA is an advocacy organization, and that's why we're all here. We're supposed to be doing advocacy. So these kinds of questions are really important because we can gather these questions and look at them and present them to Ralph and Valley and say, this is what your constituents are asking for, right? Okay, so let's do some questions because that was a lot of information. Lawrence. So I'm curious, what constitutes the definition for arts education? You know, I'm wondering if the definition is broad enough to have enough applicants or maybe it's too narrow. So I don't know. I'm asking, so what constitutes arts education that would be applicable? Learning. Learning. I'm not the arts ed person, program officer, but people ask the question all the time, could it be adults also? Are you just talking about children? We, I have an arts ed program officer that went out because we have other arts ed grants and asked if they were interested in the funding. They weren't interested in that funding. Also, sometimes a grant program, we think it's great that it's put together really well and it serves the needs and then we don't get enough applications in. And you asked a very good question because there has been a time when something came out and we said, we thought it was good. And they said, that's too much work for that size grant. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. We don't do that anymore. And so we had to reevaluate, which is what we will do this next time. The reason I ask this mm -hmm. is because some organizations, some funders make a distinction between arts exposure, like doing assemblies for elementary schools mm -hmm. and hands-on education. And I think that's maybe where that, I don't know. That's we told people to self-identify. They decided that this was arts and that fit in this category. We decided not to pick and choose like that. So people self-identified, this is an arts education program. I mean, it'd be like something totally outside of that, but we had a lot of leeway in that. Okay. I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but a quick question. I know, does ODC or Dance Mission apply for that funder? Can you repeat that? The majority of arts education money in the city comes out of DCYF mm -hmm. and Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. They're getting ready. There's another year inside of this trajectory. It was a five-year grant, and they'll be doing an RFP in October. And those grants are actually very hefty and kind of support the basis of your program. So if you can get one of those, you're in the money. Prop 28 money that got voted in. And so now all the public schools are getting money for the arts. And so that's coming up in August, September. And so 80% of it's going to artists into the schools Fantastic. or into the, the, not artists, but schools. And then 20% is going for materials and all that stuff. So people are very excited and kind of waiting with bated breath. 
Joe, just so I understand your question, are you asking if ODC goes out for SFAC funding? For children's programs, for education. We haven't gone out for education. We've been kind of challenged in the last few years of going out for funding with SFAC. What's your, your budget size? So are you because... Well, we actually have two organizations. We have okay. a parent and a subsidiary. Okay. The subsidiary, which is ODC Theater, Mm -hmm. which has its own 501c3 status, we share certain resources between both organizations, but they are independent. Are they more Um, than 1.5 million? Well, the theater is not. But when we've Hmm. gone out and looked at your RFPs, we've noticed that there are certain cases of either by district, by neighborhood, by I believe the ones that we were eligible for last year were for the Mission District, but it was for us to put on a particular festival or it was written in such a way where it was like a organization within the mission can apply for these funds to put on a festival of this kind of art and discipline for this kind of community. And when I read that, I said, <coughs> okay, well, this is definitely a grant for the Mission Cultural Center. Yeah. This is not a grant for ODC, who has been a mission resident for over 40 years. Because while we serve all kinds of folks, we have a school that has 27 disciplines and and our theater definitely goes into that budget size and has its own festival. But the language of the RFP per district, and it wasn't all districts, but it was in these areas, the ones that we could even go for it, it felt like this was written in such a way that it is really not open to us. And so SFAC funding felt like it was beyond us in that moment. So you were reading the code. It was a supervisor ad back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was, it was for some, it was from that. I mean, those are grants that happen in the city where a supervisor will write certain language and it's written for that organization to get. And And only once in a while does somebody else (laughs) get it. And it's literally happening literally right now at City Hall, right right, now. They're all, they're all going up. (laughs) That process. We just have a couple more minutes. What are we talking about? Well, okay. we're going to circle it back to this. So I, we, only, we, we only have, we got the five minute symbol over there three, two minutes ago. I guess to bring it back, the concept was to talk about Proposition E and it's having passed. And as a person who was not in the region when that happened, I'd love to hear from anyone in the room who'd like to brag about the upside of this proposition and what it is good at or for, if anyone has anything good to say about it. I would say my organization benefited as Safe House for the Arts Mm -hmm. in the Tenderloin. They were super generous to us. But so the intention of the bill was to access the hotel tax to a greater extent and extend Mm -hmm. it across the larger part of the community. Is that what I I came to the session to learn more about this proposition and its intention and also some of its failures is also part of every act that we live with in any municipal setting. But I just wanted to hear some excitement or any kind of like, did it get close to accomplishing what it was intended to do, what the voters voted on. Was it hijacked into some other part of the budget and it actually never did realize its original goals? Was it hijacked into something else? 
I don't think it was hijacked into something else. I think it got cratered, you know, and that posed a whole new set of the problems of the pandemic and the loss of hotel tax revenue. Like it just happened at that moment, right? It lost momentum. And I do want to say a lot of great things happened. One, the community got together. We have a voice in City Hall around the arts that we never had before. Secondly, it broadened what support for the arts meant. Cultural districts got funded. Arts education came into the fold. Cultural service organizations came into the fold to be able to, you know, get funding. And so I think that those are a lot of great things too. Yeah, I think just the funding that did come in was really great. I think the action and the continuity of the coalition from Prop S to Prop E went from 40 organizations to 140 organizations. That was something that was huge. However, right after that passed, the Arts Alliance that led these meetings that were laying out the path for people stopped hosting these meetings right as the pandemic hit. And so all of that coordination, all of that togetherness, I feel like that singular voice that we had built together kind of dissipated and people went back to corners a little bit. The other thing that I want to speak to as well is the cultural services allocation plan. When the Arts Impact Endowment was first imagined, the idea was that we would create grant programs that would be in place and have a chance to prove their worth for five years. However, when the cultural services allocation plan came up, it was in such a state of rushedness to get it done, according to the bureaucracy of the city, that they created a very vague plan that had these different buckets that Denise was speaking to. And I would say it's probably actually fortunate that during the pandemic, there was flexibility within those funds to adapt and to react to what was going on. However, from my understanding of what happened in meetings when it was created, it was the intention of the Arts Impact Endowment and the Cultural Services Allocation Plan said, we want to create these specific grant programs for five years so they have a chance to grow and see what the impact is in community. And then we revisit that in five years to see if we want to change that. I think what we've ended up with is the Cultural Services Allocation Plan being this overarching, we think these are the general buckets and those programs change every every year. And I think in a way that the Arts Commission can't anticipate what the community needs if we're shifting and changing every year. The last thing that I want to say is just around the next cultural services allocation plan. So what if we spent an entire year of Arts Impact Endowment funding training our community on facilitation and togetherness, giving people stipends to come together through democratic processes to talk about what we need on an artist level, on a culture bear level, on an arts worker level. That it's not about executive directors and makers, but we're reaching out and doing the work and training artists to help us come up with the next cultural services allocation plan. I kind of wanted to speak a little bit about what we do at SF Travel because we are the tourism board and I'm the arts person. So I'm trying to make sure to try and figure out how to put as much money as possible into this fund. And I realized, you know, we had 65% layoffs at the SF Travel Tourism Board during the pandemic. And I know everybody felt a ton of pain. But what we had the opportunity to do was start doing campaigns and campaigns funded by hotels, which are not funded by Grants for the Arts, right? So the hotels started coming in saying, okay, we'll take a chance on this because they didn't have anything else going on to promote the city, right? And so we started to prove ourselves and we've been doing campaigns and promoting and marketing the city through the arts. And my job is to also partly connect visitors with arts organizations and artists. And that's what I try to do. And please, if you want to reach out to me, my email is brenda t at sftravel.com. And I love ODC so much, by the way, and many of the organizations that have spoken today. So we're trying to make sure that rises. And just to let you know, it is going up. 
up. We have APEC coming in the fall, November, which is a huge opportunity, but it is going up and up and up. 24, we're a little bit worried about because we've lost some conventions. So that's a concern, but 25, 26, 27, and I realize a whole year is brutal. But, you know, we're really looking at some great opportunities in the future, and my colleagues are working really hard. So I am the person that promotes the arts through the tourism board, and I'd love to try and help any way I can. Hey, thank you. All right, guys. So thank you so much for participating in this really dense conversation. Everyone is going to be downstairs at the reception, so we'll all be here. So if you have questions for us, please feel free to find Vin. (laughs) No, but please walk away knowing that, you know, there's a lot more information out there. There'll be a resource page on ABBA's website for more information on Proppy. Please keep an eye out for things that happen. If you have questions about it, you can go directly to the Arts Commission. They're all wonderful people that are willing to listen to you and answer questions, you know. Same thing with Grants for the Arts. And then you can also advocate to your supervisors. They will listen. You know, if you say, hey, we need more money Mm -hmm. inside Arts Commission's Cultural Equity Grants Program, they will have to listen to you. Also, the CSAP process will be starting next year. And, you know, we want to encourage people to be there and, you know, we'll reach out to you because we need to hear from you and we're going to spend some time on this. Also, the strategic planning process is going to happen. They've already selected the consulting firm that will be working on the Arts Commission strategic plan. So, you know, Ralph is like going gangbusters. He has big plans, but you have to tell us what it is those plans should be. Thank you. And please join ABBA's mailing list. We don't send too many out, but you'll get information over there too. So thank you. See you all downstairs. But thank you, Denise. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. You're listening to Voices of the Community, which explores critical issues facing Northern California communities. Voices of the Community is supported by a grant for the Zellerbach Family Foundation, whose arts and culture grants ensure vibrant work is created, new voices are celebrated, and artists and audiences inclusive of the Bay Area's diverse communities and cultures have opportunities to thrive. To find out more, go to zff.org and buy a grant from the Peaceful World Foundation, dedicated to fostering a culture of global peace through the promotion of hosted conversations and education. You can learn more at peacefulworldfoundation.org. Before we get back to our Arts for a Better Bay Area State of the Arts Summit breakout session on the status and updates of Proposition E, the Arts Impact Endowment, and Grants for the Arts, we wanted to share an excerpt from one of our one-on-one interviews with Summit guests that were conducted by our roving reporter team of Issa Nakazawa and Eric Estrada. Please enjoy more insights from artist and cultural worker Sheree Purohit. Hi, this is Issa Nakazawa with Voices of the Community, and we're here at Arts for a Better Bay Area Summit 2023. Thank you so much for talking to us. Can you just say your name? And if you're an artist, just say like your medium, or if you represent an arts org, can you tell us that? I'm Shrey Porohit, and I do both. I'm an artist, and I represent an arts organization called Artspan. We're a nonprofit that supports artists in the Bay Area, but primarily SF, and we have around 800 members that we support. Yeah. What brings you here today, and what are you excited about? I'm excited for Urban Recovery Renewal Talks about that, because I'm sure great minds put in a room can solve problems like this, and we really need that to really imagine what can be done with San Francisco, because that's where we are. We have to do something about 
about it and San Francisco's great ethos of being the like phoenix of rising from our ashes and people coming together and making that happen is what I'm excited for. What do you feel like are the biggest challenges facing artists right now sustaining their practice in San Francisco and what are some of the opportunities that you're seeing? Housing for everyone not just artists and then the pay. I would say there are always going to be so many hardships but what I see inspiring and hopeful is the rise of like DIY galleries or non-profits that are really jumping in to support artists like Southern Exposure, Artspan. There are so many opportunities coming up. I'm excited for to see what the city does with the recovery to renewal, the, the program where they're doing where they give artists and performers and businesses spaces downtown. And I'm really excited to see what that does because San Francisco really can be the greatest art city in the world. We have so much infrastructure that's now empty and ready for galleries and studios and artists will bring so many people and so much just like tourism which is what our city needs as you look outside and we really need people to come and experience life here because it is so beautiful and there's so much to be learned what do you if at all think the role of the artist is you know in times like this where like a lot of the folks who are on the streets like they might not like unless you have dignified conditions you can't necessarily sustain an art practice so what do you think the role of their artist is if you think there is a role to all people I went to the Van Gogh exhibit and walked out of there feeling so hurt for Van Gogh the starving artist and now people are profiting off of his work I made a painting I donated it to the Coalition on Homelessness and Coalition on Homelessness does great art auctions they're doing one that's coming up in August and to me that's one way artists can come together to help our neighbors because they are our neighbors just because they don't have a home they are still our neighbors on planet earth and we should extend that same humanity that we expect from others so as artists and basic human in the city we should be helping our neighbors that was a great answer what are you hoping to get out of today in terms of like are there people you haven't seen in a while are there speakers you're looking forward to for people who aren't here like what are you most lit up by i'm really excited to hear from the california arts council executive director i'm really excited to hear from sf Arts Commission director and see what's in their mind and what they are seeing from on top but also being able to provide my insight as like the lowest level artist <laughs> and arts administrator and how my journey has been and how that can influence other people because together we can solve anything we're human beings we have a camera and a microphone and people in space and at the bottom of the earth but we can't solve basic issues I feel that. A lot of people we've talked today have mentioned this like need for interdependence more so as artists and also as organizations. Do you see that coming together? Very much so, right? That's the United and United States being united. We're here for together in this country to do things together. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been you. such a joy to talk yeah, to you. Tune in for the second half of this episode on arts funding with a spotlight on San Francisco's grants for the arts program. Mayor London Breed's appointment of a new director amid the challenges of the COVID-19 pandemic and the 2020 racial reckoning has sparked controversy. Listen to an insightful interview with Valley Brown, the program's new director, conducted by our co-host Issa Nakazawa in the summer of 2023. Hi, this is your host, Issa Nakazawa, reporting with Voices of the Community and Bayback Media here at our studio in Soma. We are talking to arts and culture leaders as part of the Arts for a Better Bay Area's State of the Arts Summit. And our guest today brings a breadth of knowledge and experience as a longtime activist here in the city, working with children's art programs in Hunters Point, a legislative aide working on policy, supervisor of San Francisco's 5th District, and the current director of the City of San Francisco's Grants for the Arts, Valley Brown. Thank you so much for joining us. 
guests in the studio today. Thank you, Lisa. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. It's really an honor. And I know that's an abbreviated biography for all that you've done. So thank you so much. And we just wanted to start with what is Grants for the Arts? If you can tell us a little bit about who funds it and then who do you fund? So Grants for the Arts is a city department, and we fund arts organizations, parades and festivals. We also fund granting and re-granting, as we say, Mm -hmm. where, you know, organizations that like to grant out to artists doing things, we also give them money. And what's really different about Grants for the Arts, we're not programmatic. We do Mm -hmm. not fund programs. We give you general operating support. Wow. (laughs) We need that. Exactly. It's really difficult to get general operating support anywhere. Most foundations, city departments, they fund programmatic. And so we are a special little niche that no matter what you do in the arts, we'll give you general operating support. So that means you can pay a staff member, you can pay uh, artists, you can pay a stage manager, you can pay your porta potties if you're a festival. So we don't care about that. And who we fund? Most most of our organizations, probably about 75% of our organizations are organizations that their budget is under a million dollars. So Amazing. it's small and mini. We call our mini under $500,000, mm-hmm. their annual budget. So those are our biggest pot of organizations that we fund. But we also fund the large organizations, as we call them, our megas, which is the opera, the ballet, the Museum of Modern Art, and Exploratorium. So those, and then and everything in between. Wow. So it's quite comprehensive what you find. Very comprehensive. Last year, we had 317 applications. It was the largest amount Grants with Arts have ever received. Which makes sense. Yes. And we completely restructured and opened up fair granting practices. So that really gave people an opportunity that had never had a chance for city funding, especially through Grants Mm -hmm. with the Arts, to apply for funding. Can you elaborate on that for someone who's listening who might not know, like, what is a fair... So in the last few years, I think we've seen a lot of examples in the city where people were funded or contracts were given out that wasn't a fair granting process. Okay. A lot of times people funded, departments would fund organizations that they knew or that was a friend. And the city has really stepped back and taken a look at these practices and things have happened because of those practices in the city. So we really changed that model that everything has to be fair. And so when you're talking about fair granting process, it means that you open it up for everyone. So when we have a grant cycle, in the past at Grants for the Arts, if you had received a grant, that you were pretty much guaranteed you would get that grant, right, the next year, which was great for stability. Right. But the problem was it locked out a lot of organizations. Yeah. And when I came in, it was one of those things you could tell it locked out a lot of organizations and especially organizations in historically underfunded communities. Of course. So we started turning the dial and they started turning the dial in 2020. And we've just been turning that dial Mm. to really address that. Yeah, I'm curious if like both the pandemic and the racial reckoning was like exacerbating some of those pre-existing kind of inequities in the process. 
process, which I think apply across so many sectors that you and I both know as like educators that happens in schools too with tenured positions where it's a complex matter of wanting to provide security and stability, but also wanting to make sure that there isn't kind of any gatekeeping happening for new emerging folks. So I'm curious if those factors exacerbated anything or kind of opened up some of those things for us to look into and dig deep and like you said, refine and fix. I think 2020 and a lot of the things that happened in 2020 opened people's eyes up more. And I think with some of the social justice things that were happening, and we were all sitting in our living rooms because it was the pandemic. And we all started thinking, well, how do we do things? And why are we doing those things that way? Right? Is it the right thing to do? And it started a conversation. And I think that really started a conversation. I know before I became director of Grants for the Arts, in 2020, Grants for the Arts was led by Matthew Gode, the former director, he started having listening sessions with the grantees and opened it up to even organizations that had never received a grant from Grants for the Arts. And what they found was that a lot of organizations, especially in historically underfunded communities, felt like they were shut out. That if they did get a grant, it was very small. It never was increased, but they had a hard time getting one. Right. And there is only a certain amount of funding. And so I understand that. But after that, in the next granting cycle, the application had already come back from all of the applicants when I came in. But that's when the things we started moving that dial and started to look at and score. Grants for the Arts never scored applications Mm. before that. It was just like you wrote an application, if they knew you or or whatever criteria, you would get a grant. So we started scoring applications and we started having priorities and letting people know there are priorities that we're looking for and this is how we're scoring. Right, like explicit process instead of like implicit bias or relationships. No, the relationships, I think, were a big one. And I get that. I really get that. Uh, We had staff that had worked there a long time that knew a lot of the arts organizations and that was really important and they were so supportive of the arts and great people. But you know, we had to come in and restructure the department. And that meant fair granting process for everyone. So everyone, every year, it was on an even playing field of you could get a grant. Before we started the interview, we were talking about the pace of change and how it takes, you know, upwards of 10 years sometimes to see the impact. Do you feel like from where you sit, how do you see the progress in terms of the application or the implementation of these things? Because it is Mm -hmm. pretty recent, right? Like we're Mm -hmm. only in 2023 Mm -hmm. in the summertime. So I'm curious, like where you feel like we're at in this process. Well, it's been the last two years that we have really turned that dial even more, right? Uh, The last two granting cycles. Got it. We just finished a granting cycle just recently. We will be announcing end of August the awards. So we have really turned that dial. And, you know, any kind of bureaucracy, as we were talking before, is so slow and it's very difficult. And I've had a lot of experience with that. <laughs> Been in I'm the sure. trenches, tried to change things in yeah. uh, a city bureaucracy, government bureaucracy. But with this, I feel that and we had, you know, our elected officials also felt it was really important to turn that dial, turn the dial on equity, turn the dial on community impact, turn the dial on economic impact, and really say, okay, what are we looking for when we fund organizations? How do they, you know, play into our economic impact? Because right now, that's huge, our economic impact in the city. And this granting cycle was 50% of your score was your economic impact. But then also measured. I'm ignorant. So I don't know, like how that's qualified or even quantified. 
It, like, how many San Francisco artists are you hiring? Mm. How many staff do you have that live in San Francisco? That's a big one mm. because we know that a lot of our artists have left San Francisco because it's so expensive. So we're like, okay, we know that we have a lot of artists from all over that work in the city that, you know, are part of our great arts organizations. But we also know that we kind of have to stop the bleeding of San Francisco artists leaving. So how do we do that? We have to make sure they have money to pay for living in San Francisco. That was one of our steps. And then how many events do you have in San Francisco? That was a huge one. We have many organizations that maybe would do one or two events in San Francisco, but then a lot of them travel. And we get that. They travel, they do performances or whatever they do all over. But we had to say, especially right now in this economic situation that San Francisco is in, we had to drill it down to we're going to fund organizations or we're going to fund you a certain amount of what you're doing in the city. Absolutely. And just zooming out for a second, we started with, you know, your biography where you came here as an artist. And then you've just had this like braided this like really dynamic career and personal trajectory. And so I'm curious, like how you went from artist to I know it's never a linear line when you're living it. But when you move backwards, you can connect the dots. But how do you kind of find yourself in this particular role after all of the myriad of roles that you've held? Like what drew you to being in grants for the arts and the specific role that you're in now? Well, I've always been interested in arts. I was an artist when I moved to the city in the late 80s and, you know, lived with a lot of different artists in all the warehouses back then in San Francisco. We used to like get these old warehouses and turn them into living space studios. And then the earthquake hit and we were all wiped out of there. And I mean, south of market's totally different now and all of the different, you know, buildings. I used to live in a warehouse that was under the freeway when when the earthquake hit. So it's one of those things that I went from there. And if you're an artist, you know this, you have a lot of gigs to support yourself, right? So I worked in a bookstore (laughs) at night. I worked in all these different things. And I started to get into nonprofits, working in nonprofits, because that seems also to be an area that a lot of artists go to because it's a little more I mean you don't normally get benefits you don't get a 401k you don't get any of those perks but a lot of times you get the empathy and the flexibility to do your work right so I started doing that and then I started a arts program at the Hunters Boys and Ghost Club in Hunters Point and then that's kind of I got swept up in activism in Hunters Point and Mm -hmm. all of the different health issues all the other things economic issues the violence everything that it just didn't make sense And so I started turning that way. And then, you know, as I said, you know, working, I had a supervisor that said, yes, you're a great activist, but why don't you come inside and see what it's like and see how it works. So I did. I took him up on the offer. I became a legislative aide. I went through all that. Then in 2008, the downturn hit, had to experience the city not having enough money to support children's programs to give seniors food. It was horrible. I would go home a lot of times and and feel just miserable. But that was the situation. But anyway, I stayed and thought, okay, I'm going to fight inside to do what I need to do. And then, you know, things rolled out, did different things, um, became a supervisor. And then I knew I wanted to go back and be in the arts. And so that's kind of how I came to this position. Do you feel like that history or that like origin story 
informs the way that you interact with artists right now, who I'm sure, you know, we're all a little bit disgruntled because in a lot of ways, it feels like we're fighting for our lives or fighting for the ability to stay here and Mm -hmm. practice. And Mm so does that give you like a sensitivity when you're, you know, interfacing with grantees? I think so. I really have always been a big believer. And I did go and work in the city looking at private public housing. And we were looking at artist housing. I'm still very interested in artist housing. I think that the thing with artist housing in this city, because I've been in there, you also need a studio. Uh, Because you can have, you know, groovy little loft. But if it's like 500 feet loft, where do you work? I mean, some people can work in that, but well, you need a studio. And I was a welder at the time when I came Oof. in. I did metal work. And there was very few places. And actually, City College had their welding school on 4th and Harrison. So I used to go in and just take classes so I could use their studios. Right. You know, use their welding machines, use their space. There just isn't anything like that as much anymore. So we really have to think clearly when we think about artist housing. It just doesn't mean a place to live. It also means work. So for me... When I talk to artists and arts organizations about their work, about their funding, I'm very sensitive to it. But I also know that a lot of it, there's just so much we can do. In 2008, when we went through the downturn, one of the things I realized is that you cannot just rely on city funding or government funding, because when you hit a downturn or this epidemic that everything shut down and we were funded by hotel tax and we didn't have the money. We were completely pretty much dried up that you need to have other funding. You need Mm. to diversify your funding. So really, that's one of the messages I want to put out there is try to diversify your funding because who would have thought about this pandemic that we would have been in that situation? Right. Uh, And we're still millions of dollars short. During 2021, the fiscal year, our mayor, we have a mayor that's very arts oriented because that's what she did for 10 years is ran an art cultural center. So she put in money to pretty much not completely fund grants for the arts, but did a huge chunk of $14 million. And the Board of Supervisors, thank goodness, agreed to let that go through. You have to remember, this was general operating funds, which means it could have been money that went to the homeless, that went to children, that went mm-hmm. to seniors. And she took that money and said, no, she really believed that arts and culture is really important in this city. Mm-hmm. And we have to support that. So she took that money in 21 and said, we're going to give grants for the arts money. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't as much money as we normally had. So it was hard. It was a difficult two years. It's something I've been sitting with a lot because we and we missed you at the State of the Art Summit, but I was interviewing a lot of arts and culture leaders of the city. And even myself, I come from like more of a political organizing background. And then I went into the arts because I felt like it's like the bread and roses framework of wanting dignified conditions for all, but understanding that art is also this really key piece to our soul and that they're more braided and like symbiotic than separate. But I think it's something I'm thinking about a lot right now because I work in San Francisco. I work at Ninth and Mission three to five times a week. And so I'm confronted with when it comes to city funding, I'm confronted with the push and pull of priorities Mm -hmm. when I do feel oftentimes as an artist that I'm getting funding that's going away from like houseless folks or for going away from direct service because often we're pit against each other for funding. And so there's no like necessarily point to blame there, but I think it becomes complicated as an artist where you feel complicit as part of almost like a revitalization effort that doesn't actually sustain the folks on the street who are growing day to day in numbers and could easily be us. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're a paycheck 
Well, I speak for myself. You know, I don't come from money. So it's like I'm a paycheck away from that reality. And so, yeah, I think about the ways in which the conversations at the summit were reassuring in a way that we're now having to confront the intersection between arts and economic recovery or economics. And it's not an intersection. But can you speak to that a little bit? Like, how does that even sit within you even not speaking for grants for the arts? Like, how do you find the politics there? Well, and and I agree, you know, when you're thinking of arts and, you know, programs of what they do, a lot of times you don't think of the economic part of it, unless you're like selling tickets, and you've got to like, you know, let's get the full house here. But with Prop E, which was the hotel tax that passed with, you know, over 70% of the vote in the city, that the arts would always have that money from the hotel tax, we wouldn't have to compete. And we wouldn't have to say we're taking money away from, you know, homeless services, or children's services or elderly services. We wouldn't have to do that anymore. So it takes a little bit of that guilt away from Mm. us, right? But no one, like I said, no one knew this pandemic was coming through and that our hotel tax would just be like bottomed out. Wow. But the city leaders really believed and there was a report that was done that arts and culture is really the economic way back for any city, not only San Francisco, but any city. Mm. And I think for me, I live in the city and I've stayed in the city. And, you know, sometimes it's been difficult, but I've stayed in the city because I love being able to get up and walk and, you know, to a free freaky festival that's going on that the city supports, or, you know, you can go to a large like carnival or pride, or you can go to these little organizations that are doing amazing work also. Right. And you have world-class museums and opera and ballet. And you can't really get that unless you're in a city, right? Right. And we have people come to the city for that. And not only people, but artists that travel to work in the city because this is the place to work. Mm -hmm. So I really believe that arts and culture is our way back economically. I really believe that wholeheartedly. And I just feel that, you know, we should be supporting our arts and culture as much as we can, because I feel that this is going to bring people into the city, whether that's tourism, people from the Bay Area, or just getting us out of our sweatpants that live around here, you know, and out from our computer and unplug our Netflix IV and get out. So I really, truly believe that. Yeah, that's interesting. I've been interviewing local artists more in this neighborhood. And we've been talking about like a lot of arts organizers feel this pressure to stay hybrid for really profound reasons like accessibility and trying to be, you know, very responsive to the realities. But I also feel like with the live, there's something about coming together in person that's also essential to community like for me you can have digital communities you can have these hybrid communities and they're not distinct from but i Mm -hmm. think without events or without live activations we're still pretty alienated and isolated and it's not necessarily helping us reconnect to even ourselves yeah agreed and I know you were going to speak at the art, the State of the Art Summit about Prop E, and mm-hmm. I you just kind of went into it, but like, what is the kind of the state of it right now? And I, I know you were going to share a little bit more in depth about it at the State of the Art Summit. Like, is there anything left for you to share about it or where it stands? Yeah, and I'm so sorry and disappointed I missed the State of the Art Summit because, but you would not have wanted me there. I was sick. <laughs> I didn't have a voice. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no voice. I was a mess. And so I really was disappointed to miss it. A lot of my friends and colleagues were there and I heard it was great. But yes, Prop E. So, you know, we're still not where we were. 
And a lot of it's because of conventions and those things coming into town and staying at hotels. We're better than we were a year ago, especially better than we were two years ago. Mm. But we still don't have where we were in like 2019. This year, the city had said to us, you have to fund just on property because they had been giving us some general funds. You know, they gave us a huge chunk of general fund. And then last year that we had some. Mm. But this year, they're like, because of all the needs and things that are happening, they said you need to like live within your means kind of thing. And so you have this much money to grant out, which was about 14 million, which is a lot lower, but it's something that we have to do. There's just no way around it. And Proppy still gives us that guaranteed that as long as we don't have another catastrophe where we don't have visitors here going into hotels, it still gives us that guarantee we're going to have funding, some kind of funding, but we have to prioritize. Got it. And can you speak to the Proposition E, the Arts Impact Endowment funding component that I know is informed by a lot of the, you know, community art folks? So like, how do they get involved and informed in that process? Well, I think there's different things. There's different places to go. For us, for me and our department, you know, we keep a temperature on where the funding is on property, right? And what we need to do. I know that John Moscone and others have been really being activists to organize people, to get them to push for certain funding and push for priority funding. For us, I'm much more, I mean, as a city funder, I step back a bit, but I also look for other ways that we can get funding, whether that is state funding, federal funding, all of those things that I think that would be really helpful. And I know there's different groups and you can get online and look for those that if people want to get involved in Mm. that, we always need people like, you know, we had lined up people to speak when we were looking at, you know, trying to get the general fund for what was two years ago. And no one even had to speak because all the board of supervisors at that meeting, at the budget meeting said, yeah, let's do that. But you have to get ready to be that activist. Maybe go to the state to really like, you know, reach out to our federal leaders, you know, our Nancy Pelosi or Dianne Feinstein, all of them to say, we really want you to push this initiative and funding. I think those are things that there are groups that are getting that together and making sure that people have that opportunity to put their voice in there. Because the arts has always been a target. And especially get certain groups and certain political figures in that they take a swipe at the arts. Right. That, you know, anybody that's involved in the arts are, you know, not the kind of people they want to vote. <laughs> that's why it's so important that we do get exactly. involved. Exactly. And sometimes exactly. it's really just about getting, yeah, getting a sense of the process and mm-hmm. where the information is. Because mm-hmm. I think those things, whether it's intentional or not, can feel like mystifying. And mm-hmm. I think it's really important that people, you know, get involved and we come together. And I just, think right now more than ever we're very interdependent like if we're not all working in some sort of coordination and strategy like it feels like the stakes are really high right now and so I appreciate yeah I appreciate just getting the information to people and then one of my last questions is I know that Grants for the Arts did receive some complaints from grantee organizations Mm -hmm. around funding cuts and Mm -hmm. communication so I was wondering if like you and your team have worked on kind of a way to I don't know work through that or address those concerns moving forward Well, when it came into Grants for the Arts, it was a department that had stayed the same for, you know, 40 something years. And 
when the pandemic hit and I wasn't the director, then they did a lot of things online. I mean, you could actually, you know, put your application in online, which normally you'd have to go in and hand it, like hand deliver it before 5 p.m. on some random day. And so when I came in to restructure it, there was a lot of things that need to be restructured, not only a fair granting process, but we also looked at the application, the application that they had for the year I came in was like this 3,000, 4,000 word narrative, the questions. And I'm like, who has the time at an arts organization to put those kinds of narratives together? So we cut the questions down. So we've been really working to restructure the program. I have a lot of new staff, really smart staff, way smarter than me. And, you know, because compliance is really difficult in the city. And they're looking at where can we make it easier for grantees, right? Because we want artists to do what they do best. And writing grants and submitting all their compliance is like the worst thing that you can do. And I totally get that. So we're trying to make it simpler. As far as communications, you know, no one likes change. And I know that I don't like change either. A lot of times we all are uncomfortable with change. And one of the things I always felt with the city, and I say this all the time to my staff, is that outreach and communications in the city is one of the hardest things that we can do. And it's also one of the worst areas that we're really horrible with it. I mean, it's just because we have such, like for us, we have such a large group of applicants and funding people we fund. We mainly do it with email. And a lot of people don't read all their emails that you send, right? So I really think that's a fair analogy and or critique. And I feel like, you know, there's room for us to get better. And I really believe that one of the things that we did this year with this application, we held application workshops, we held office hours, you know, uh, last year, we did workshops of anyone that was funded low, they got funding, but they got funded low. So last year, I said I would meet with every single person if they were defunded and have a conversation. And so did my staff. So we really try to communicate what's happening, but it's hard when things change radically. It's very tough. And especially with the equity piece, we've had a huge issue with that. And I get it. Yeah, I think as a producer programming too, I understand the ways in which like the process and the things that involve, like you just said, I mean, like the forms and just all of the things that we view as almost equity issues are because Mm -hmm. then if the artist can't even fully like submit a proposal, then it's like all of the step of being available and then creating opportunities for them to understand the application process. So I think we're all kind of in this learning process of all of the different steps that aren't encompassing an equity because that word is definitely a buzzword right now. But I think it helps when we break it down into what does that include and how can we really come to a shared definition? Because oftentimes I think we use words now like we throw them around without defining them. And I think that's often why we could get into these issues of like that's not equity to me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. thanks for answering that. I think it's important people here, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I really believe that, you know, 2020, 2021, a lot of people, like I said, you know, become very aware of the inequities out there. And we've had a lot of organizations that had equity statements, racial equity statements and things like that. But then we started turning the dial saying, okay, you have your racial equity statement, you know, now what? Yeah. Now what? What are you doing? Are you reaching out to those communities? Are you trying to embrace 
embrace, you know, are you bringing in artists that you normally wouldn't? Are you looking at audiences that normally wouldn't have come to your programs and performances? Those are the things that we're looking for and we're looking at. And I know that's really difficult, but it's also a way for us to all work together. I don't think we have all the answers. I don't think everything that we do is perfect. And I love feedback, but it's also the feedback has to be like, what can we do together? Yeah, I'm happy to hear that because I think we all have a duty to really go way beyond the gesture, the performance of virtue signaling. And I think, yeah, I was very overwhelmed by that. And I understood that there may have been some sincerity there, but it did feel a little bit like covering up, you know, something. And, And I think now we really need to go in and dig into the mission and the programs and kind of fine tune comb and ask deeper questions of ourselves and our work, not from a place of shame, but from a place of I think of duty, like if this is what we're saying that we are doing, Mm -hmm. then how? And it doesn't need to be perfect, but Mm -hmm. I think it needs to be measured or it needs to be considered and very clear. And then my last question for you is what does the future of Grants for the Arts look like for you from where you sit? Well, I would like to make it more like a stability. We're talking about having a two-year grant because, you know, I get that when you get a grant one year, it, it's really hard to plan for your next year if you may lose somebody, right? So you're like, what? So looking at having a two-year granting. So anyone that was accepted would be guaranteed as long as you're in compliance, you know, with all the city hoops of fire that you have to jump through that I have no control over, that you would receive that grant next year the same. And if our budget increased, you'd get more money. If our budget decreased, you'd get a percentage lower. But we also would keep an open granting process for anyone that didn't receive money so they could apply for the first time or if they were defunded and they could come back. So it wouldn't be that if you have that two-year grant, that that's it. Those are the only people that are going to get it. We would have that open door still, but it would probably be a smaller pool Mm. of people, organizations. But I really feel that it would help arts organizations if they knew that they had two-year funding pretty much guaranteed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about like, what are the frame? Yeah, what what Mm -hmm. timelines are appropriate? And Mm -hmm. so I think that sounds Mm -hmm. like a good vision. Mm -hmm. And are you feeling, do you feel like, I don't love the word hope, but are you feeling hopeful about the state of San Francisco in terms of like the arts being part of the pathway of how to come back to a new place? I'm a fighter. I've always have been like that fighter and an underdog kind of person that tries to fight to make things right or what I think is right. And I think San Francisco, I love the city. It's a gorgeous city. It has, you know, believe me, we have a lot of faults. I know that like any city, anyone. But I really feel that this city is a survivor. And most people you talk to, especially when you're going to all these different arts programs and performances and the things that we do, we're really special. And I really feel that we're going to get through this and we're going to get through this stronger. I mean, we always change. San Francisco's always been a boom and bust from the beginning. Yeah. And personally, I kind of feel that this gives us a chance to really change the uh, narrative and the dynamics of San Francisco that could be really interesting and hopefully better for artists. Absolutely. That's why I caught myself and it's never about going back. It's about like transformation Mm -hmm. and different stages of that transformation, which I do think is the history of San Francisco. It is. 
It is. And I think that anyone that loves San Francisco understands that. I mean, I have, you know, most of the people that I know that are artists that, you know, are able to live here. They were the people who said, I'm leaving San Francisco, never coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could work from anywhere. No, they're really dedicated to San Francisco and the arts community. And they're still there and they still want to be that, you know, lifeline that helps us come back. Absolutely. I think it's important to offer those counter narratives right now because there's such a dominant national story about San Francisco that I think it's critical that our voices are out there contributing and shaping that narrative. Absolutely. And, you know, we have APEC coming to the city in November and it's going to have leaders from all over, you know, Asia. President Biden's going to be here. It's going to be a big deal. I mean, it's going to be, they say that we won't have that kind of concentration of visitors since the World Fair. And so I personally feel that we should have arts going on on the streets everywhere. Mm. You know, just people come out and really show who San Francisco is because we're going to have the media. So we're really looking at let's everyone just come out and, you know, put on your best. Comb your hair like I always have to do. Like, oh, so Come on, absolutely. Get out of the PJs. Get out and get out there. Get out absolutely. of athleisure. Yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us today, Oh, Valley. thank you. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in with our conversation with Valley Brown. And please check out the ABBA Summit series on Channel 29 very soon, as well as the ABBA and Voices of the Community YouTube channels. And you can even listen and check it out on KSFP. That is 102.5 FM in San Francisco. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Voices of the Community. You've been listening to the voices of Joe Landini, the founder and director of giving at Safe House Arts, Vinay Patel, the executive director of the Asian Pacific Islander Cultural Center, Denise Pate, the director of community investments for the San Francisco Arts Commission, Valley Brown, the director of the City of San Francisco's Grants for the Arts, and Sheree Purohit an artist and cultural worker at ArtsBan, along with our wonderful co-host, Issa Nakazawa, the Director of Community Engagement of Bayback Media. Today's episode was made possible through our co-production partnership with Arts for a Better Bay Area for their State of the Art Summit, along with our amazing technical crew, the audio and video wizard and our associate producer, Eric Estrada, and our co-production partner, Bayback Media, and their wonderful staff, Paula Argoni, Andy Konami, Issa Nakazawa, and Javon Giles. The graphic magic was made possible by Casey Nance from Citron Studios. We also want to thank our broadcast partners, KSFP, LPFM, 102.5 FM, KPCA, LPFM, 103.3 FM, Petaluma Community TV, and Bayback Media. Voices of the Community is supported by a grant from the Zillabach Family Foundation, whose arts and culture grants ensure vibrant work is created new voices are celebrated, and artists and audiences inclusive of the Bay Area's diverse communities and cultures have opportunities to thrive. To find out more, go to zff.org and buy a grant from the Peaceful World Foundation dedicated to fostering a culture of global peace through the promotion of hosted conversations and education. You can learn more at peacefulworldfoundation.org. Take us along on your next walk, Work out or drive by subscribing to Voices of the Community on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you've been enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. To watch past and future episodes of Voices of the Community, 
please subscribe to our YouTube channel and go to youtube.com at geocoster. We'd love to hear from you with feedback and show ideas, so send us an email to george at georgecoster.com. I'm George Coster from San Francisco, and thank you for listening and watching today's episode.